The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. And now, here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my companion, Tony Shaw. Hello again, friends. And this edition of Old Space Show will be exploring time and space with the adventures of Doctor Who in his seventh iteration, along with his companion, Mel Bush, in season 24, Sylvester McCoy's first year as the Doctor. Today, we'll be talking the third serial, Delta and the Bannerman. Boarding a nostalgia tours bus, the Doctor and Mel go for a holiday. They will soon learn, however, that their fellow passenger Delta is a Shimmeron queen fleeing from the Bannerman who wished to make her species extinct. Thus, the time traveler's trip to Shangri-La turns into a battle against genocide. Bum, bum, bum. All right. And this one is directed <laughs> by Chris Clow, which you're going to hear him next week because he also directs Dragonfire. But he had previously directed Terror of the Vervoids, The Ultimate Foe. The next season, he'll be directing The Happiness Patrol and Silver Nemesis. He's a bang, bang guy. You get him for two. He knows nice. how to do those productions. It stars... Sylvester McCoy, Bonnie Langford, Sarah Griffiths, Don Henderson, Belinda Maine, Stubby K, Morgan Deer, Ken Dodd, Stubby K, and David Kinder. And Ken Dodd, somewhat stunt casting, they've said with it. He's the uh, the guy who gets everybody on the bus at the beginning. <laughs> Big British stand-up comedy guy. Now, I'm not familiar with him in America too much. Uh, but this was seen as some stunt casting over. He just kinda, he had one of those faces and voices. Like when he came on, you just kind of got that vibe. Even like you said, even on the American side, if we're not familiar with him, mm-hmm. like it just felt like he was meant to be there. He wasn't just another right. character, you know, just like when recently in um, the Doctor Who Flux season uh, companion, John Bishop, uh, where us in America were like, and he was a big it was a big thing over there, like, oh my god, John Bishop's and and I would have thought that was the character name. That's how much <laughs> I had no idea about him. But there's some things that don't cross over. There are people that are huge stars over there. We don't have a clue about uh Absolutely. like like if you go to New York, there are people that are massive celebrities based off Broadway that you had no idea because you don't live in New York. Like these people live like gods out there and yeah. Their, their reach does not extend past the city. Uh, did it, like you know one of the most fascinating uh, subjects of that matter to me is Franco Nero, one of the biggest stars on the globe, just not in America, and yeah. like worldwide huge. Um, was in Die Hard two, and like he's the biggest star on the planet, and he's like relegated to like you know bad guy that's kind of just kind of more cameo like role. But like across yeah. the globe, like, oh, my God, Franco Nero. It's kind of, yeah, it's funny how America, as Americans, uh, we will pick and choose 
who we are going to celebrate the fandom of. And yeah, then there are global people that mm-hmm. we will completely ignore. Like, uh, um, you know, it, it's a similar way in music. Like you remember, uh, I guess it's been about a decade ago now when uh, Gangnam Style got big. Yep. And uh, Psy, you know, who did that? Americans don't know him from it. They just, he's the guy with that one goofy song, but that yeah. was like his seventh album. He had seven other, you know, he had six other albums in, uh, over, you know, over in, in, in Korea. And he's huge. Like, like mm-hmm. this was not like, this was run of the mill for him, but it caught on here. Yep. And that's just, that's the way we do it. Apparently yep. go America. <laughs> We're going through that right now with RRR. The movie has yes. been huge. And that's like just another one for these guys. And from what I'm told, it's not even one of their best movies for all, all yeah. three of them, but Hey, it's pick it up. It's great. I love that people are going to see it. I had a blast at that movie. Um, I took, I took my son to it randomly that's... and he loved it. So I was like, wow, he sat through a three hour Hindi film um, and loved it. Uh, I would have, before we get into Delta, the Bannerman, we've got like present day relevant Doctor Who thing going on yeah. here. There's a word now that there's negotiations between Sony, Bad Wolf and the BBC to, for the, after Jodie Whittaker's era ends in the fall, that going forward, new stuff from Doctor Who, uh, Disney Plus is interested in carrying it on their streaming service. So do yeah. you have any thoughts about that, Tony? I, you know, I say the more exposure here, the better. I mean, obviously, BBC America has has long for, you know, for a long time carried that. But, but their reach only extends, you know, ostensibly to people who have cable. I mean, no mm-hmm. one's really, you know, they don't really have a solid streaming option i mean they have their own but it's but it's nowhere near the reach of like a disney plus or whatever right. and i think as disney is trying to diversify and try to keep up with hulu and netflix and you know uh, all, obviously all streaming services have hits and misses but i mean could you imagine the just the sheer amount of content that they would add by adding doctor who whether it's mm-hmm. current only or if they do current and classic i mean that's hours right. and hours and hours of new things for people to watch that seems like a win-win across the board right for my for my knowledge of this it would be like the everything so all the classic stuff would remain on britbox and pluto tv um and then like in america the uh russell t davies uh original uh with eccleston through uh whitaker would remain on hbo max uh (laughs) and some on amc plus or whatever but uh like the bbc america you could tell has been done with doctor who for a while like you could tell Mm -hmm. that some deals winding up. They they pulled the plug on helping fund animations for missing episodes. Um, if you look up stuff on their website, it's just non-existent. But I, the ideal way. So Disney Plus, I think, is great in this idea that they're just carrying it. They're not making calls on what they can produce. What they they're not doing content. It's just hey, we want to be the platform that it streams on across you know the globe. Yeah, and I think that's great because they have. No, people, nobody markets as good as Disney. <laughs> you know, few right, do. Amen. Um, yep. And they can. They're the look right now is to return excitement to Doctor Who. I mean, once that centenary airs in the fall, get ready because Russell T Davies is going to be in your face all the time. Oh, yeah. And that's not. A, and they're wanting to build excitement again. All this because, and I, I have been a fan of the the Chibnall era, but the marketing and just it's just fizzled like it started out on cloud nine and then it's just been he's a eh, we'll get there where we get you know his marketing's not 
the enthusiasm is only there when it's about to air and that's sure. that's it it's dead it's done um and you know he's just i guess different type of showrunner moffat and uh russell c davies were much more fan interactive having fun and being a figurehead i don't think chibnall likes the camera on him too much or talking about it but uh, his era has been kind of, and that stinks that the first woman doctor is going out with a kind of, you know, yeah. there, there was San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. We've got a final episode for the centenary, bringing back Tegan and no presence. Right. None. You're absolutely right. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of an odd vibe and it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think what, what what Jodie Whittaker has done, I, I I mean, I have nothing against her era or whatever you want to call it. I did, I mean, I really loved like for me, things really got hopping on uh, when um uh, why am I blanking on my names now? When um why can't I think of the twelfth doctor's name? I'm actually, oh, uh, Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Yes, thank you. I, I was literally in my head. I'm like, we're going to talk about Peter Capaldi. I love, I love Peter Capaldi, despite my inability to, to remember his name just now. I mean, I thought he, I had hoped that he would break like the three year cycle. I had hoped that he mm-hmm. that he would keep going and, and and do his thing. But you know, then I mean, obviously, when you know, when when Jody came around, you know, that's you know, it is what it is. And I mean, she was wonderful, but I, it, it felt like a shift. Like like Capaldi had really kind of. I felt had kind of started to re spark that interest that had started to wane. And I think mm-hmm. right when they got, right when they got there, they were like, Oh, what do we do now? Like, you know, he's going away. Let's uh, we're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's girl time, which I'm totally fine. You know, like I, I thought Jody was great, yeah. but it just felt like too much going on at once. And yeah, I, I feel like Chibnall it, and probably the BBC couldn't help. Could just couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. It was a slate wipe, but I mean, cause, cause I mean, Every, you know, every doctor is a slate wipe. Every showrunner is. But we had back to back Moffat doctors. And so it was a lot of sitting the same. And to to the credit, like the, the, you know, I like, I liked Capaldi. I I thought his last season, I was like, oh, you're leaving before I'm ready for you to go, Um, which is probably the best way to go. Um, (laughs) And the the ratings were in a decline. You know, they they declined a bit after uh, David Tennant. Uh, though Matt Smith was very popular in America. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. so that's the crew that made it big in America, but they declined with Capaldi. They spiked when Whitaker, her first season, spiked back up big time. Right. And then her second season was about where Capaldi was before. And then Flux was just a little lower, you know, more lower than that. But I mean, without building excitement or marketing, like, well, can you, you know, I don't know if it's a, I don't want to say it's a, a thing on quality because I think they could do more to build excitement. And there is an audience for it, but also viewing habits have changed. So are the ratings comparing to certain things accurate? That's no, you know. yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and and to build on that too, if viewings have certainly changed, if they're mm-hmm. not on a strong streaming platform, then that means if you're not watching BBC America on Saturday night or mm-hmm. you know whenever it airs, like you may not catch it. And if you don't catch it, obviously Doctor Who fairly serialized not not totally yeah. but like if you if you feel like if you missed last week then maybe you don't make as much effort to catch this week because you don't right. want to be out of the loop and then you spiral out of watching it and if that propagates to a lot of people then you're in, you know you're in trouble if you can't you know catch it up next day on the streaming mm-hmm. service or whatever so yeah I, I yeah so i i think the disney plus thing is the perfect companion to russell z davies coming back and yeah building so um 
yeah, I, I, as long as it's, you know, it's like, this is where you want, because it used to be Netflix for mm-hmm. modern Doctor Who. It used to be, and then it was Amazon Prime. And then it got relegated to HBO Max. Um, in the UK, it's BritBox, I believe. So it's had multiple homes. This wouldn't be anything new. And I, it's just a, it's just a home. Everybody's got it. They're looking for just any sort of brand to have that's, you know, not their own or something that could build excitement. I, I'm for it. You know, if, sure. they, if it was Disney making Doctor Who, I'd, I'd have a different opinion. But um, <laughs> I definitely... Yeah, I, if that's this, if that's a deal, because Sony has been dealing some stuff to Disney Plus with good success recently, so yeah, this doesn't surprise me. But yeah, we we shall see. But going back to speaking of low rating things, let's go back to uh, the <laughs> Sylvester McCoy era here. Okay, um, which, that's my segue. I didn't know what to do. They, but uh, unfortunately, it was getting pitted against a Coronation Street, which was super popular back in the day. Yep. So they're definitely. Sure trying to kill it delta and the batter men this is the third serial was originally scheduled to be the fourth serial and then production schedules and stuff eh, worked better to do this so the uh, chris clow the director said hey how about we, we'll save time we'll save money we'll do one all location and one all studio so delta the batter men's the location one which obviously you'd want to go out on that one but just the way things happen um they're that so this one this is a really interesting point here too but i i first want to point out that i mentioned um of them figuring something out with the mccoy era this is the serial where i figured i feel like they figured out the mccoy era and going forward they look at this one as a uh, big success because i think it gets it right it figures out how to write how to shoot for the mccoy era because they have those video cameras that they had back with the last season and this one uh it was originally try uh tell flight of the chimeron uh, but um, McCoy's doctor he uh develops forms here. Um, it's the serial that's first truly written for him, as Tony and I talked. The other two were not, yeah. First question mark umbrella, too. But yeah, what do you think when I say that this is the one that gets the McCoy era? Is that I, I yes, I I agree. Yes, both this and and Dragonfire, whether they yeah. were flip flopped or, or or kept the same, have that kind of vibe where you like to me, I, I feel. I feel the science fiction stories. I feel what they were, what they're going for. Like these have like these to me feel like they have bigger ideas inside of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the execution is still a little hit and miss as it, as it is just generally in this era, obviously of low budgets and things like that. Right. But you can, but you can feel the ideas, the bigger, I, I genuinely feel like these two started to lay the foundation, not only for Sylvester's era, but really what the, the building blocks of modern doctor who is built on in terms of like, thinking outside the box, like trying to tell bigger stories than just yet another monster of the week and things like that. So, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate what, what Delta and the Bannerman bring and, and Dragonfire for sure. I definitely, right. it feels like the corner gets turned here for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And this one, yeah, like I said, shooting it like this one, it, it still has that sort of, you know, uh, you know, public access type look to it and stuff, but they figure out how to utilize it best here in this one. Right. Uh, yeah. And they leaned into, you know, I mean, obviously the, the show opens on the TARDIS, but then real quickly, you know, the Dr. Mel, they win a, they, they win a fabulous trip. Oh, great. And all of time mm-hmm. and space, what do they win? They win a trip to Disney world in 1959. Like, that's right. like how random is this? But that's obviously because they found a location that they could, 
that that looked old enough at that point that could be in that 50s vibe and they just ran with it so with their shangri-la so <laughs> right well and the space station or the station they take off in looks good like it, yeah. it, you know there's a lot of sets and stuff but they this is kind of filmed exterior and they make it look uh out of this world and uh really nifty like it, they pull it off whereas they've been failing with things like this before in the trial of the time lord and then this with the, the lower money and the cameras being used and this it's really the dark uh, the nighttime setting probably hides a lot for it but um it works uh for me uh but yeah this um also one quick thing this came there's supposed to be a six-part serial to end this season and they chopped it to two threes um okay that uh was a thing so that could have been a whole different era because this but you know uh to me um we talk about the McCoy era having the three parts not having enough, the four parts having too much. This one is perfect. I don't really think it's overdone with any sort of filler. I think it it works pretty good here. I agree, and I think that there was some, um, you know, I know there was some talk between whether this serial or Dragonfire was going to be the one where. Uh, Mel says goodbye and the doctor mm-hmm. takes on a new companion. So I'm glad they didn't, I'm glad they chose not to work it into this one because I think it felt very organic, uh, the way that things worked out with, with, uh, everybody going their separate ways and things like that. So yeah, I, I think it definitely worked out well that this one was a three-parter and dragon fire, uh, about the same. I would say that one, that one I could potentially have seen to, to go a little longer, but I think, I think mm-hmm. three part serials here were, were, were probably the best choice, especially with the previous ones, you know, as we right. discussed in previous weeks, feeling like they ran a little lengthier yeah. than they, than they needed to. Yeah, so. time, time of the Ronnie could have been two parts. Um, <laughs> uh, no, th- this one, well, yeah, like you said, uh, there's a whole, th- it, I'm just, these last two serials are fascinating. We might go over the same thing a couple of times because they're yeah. really intertwined. So had this been the fourth one, Mel leaves. Right. Um, and also there's the character of Ray, who's played by Sarah Griffiths in this. Yep. Ray was potentially going to be the next companion. Um, she's very much there. It was very, very, very close. I believe she'd still be played by Sophie Aldrin. Um, I believe that was the thing. Like she pick the role kind of she wanted or she auditioned and they liked her more for there's something something there with that um but she would have replaced mel uh but there was another actor she was lynn gardner cast um but she uh, heard herself in rehearsals to, uh, working with the motorcycle so she got uh, was given the role of the announcer in dragon fire so she <laughs> she was given something but yeah this character of ray which you can see it wholeheartedly even more than the kang stuff in the previous one that eh, this girl works maybe we keep her around oh yeah absolutely yeah you could tell this is this is more of a uh both both here and in in dragon fire you get the the doctor and mel uh on their own separate adventures and mm-hmm. and yeah in, in retrospect now knowing that mel is leaving uh you know you can feel that they were intentionally kind of giving them that separation and putting the doctor in these new situations with these new people and yeah ray and he and ray obviously spent a ton of the serial together mm-hmm. um they you know they worked well with each other so yeah i could definitely see you know in a different world and a different time how how this one would have spun off to oh, yeah. the new companion because obviously uh again we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit for dragonfire but when mel says goodbye 
it's a it's a real chintzy reason, which which was kind of right. par for the course back then. There yeah. there was no like big turmoil or big thing. She was just like, I'm gonna go with this guy for a while. Bye. You know, few, so a few of them got that. Uh, Sarah right. Jane got a good one. Tegan's is pretty cool, different, but yeah, there's a lot of I mean, especially in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, when, when you're done, you're done, right? Yep. Goodbye. Get out of here. And so. we might have decided it mid serial. We we might not have yeah. given you a heads up. Yeah, that's absolutely. What, but yeah, so yeah, you can totally see in the end scene because there's a guy that Ray pines for this whole time, but he falls for Delta and they end up leaving to go to the plant together at the end. And you could see the moment where she'd be like, well, I have nothing to g- go for here anymore. Right. He was and the doctor being like, well, yep. you know, come to the TARDIS. And while Mel decides she just likes the 50s and can do a lot of stuff yeah. there. I, I don't know. She could um, scream. She could scream at all the things in the fifties. She could scream wherever she, wherever she goes. She could just scream at her stuff. That's fine. Right. So, but, yeah. <laughs> but yes, Ray. Yeah, Ray. Instead, she ends up with the motorcycle. She, uh, she has. She, she's in charge of uh, Johnny's motorcycle, and she's like, "Take good right. care of her for me." And so, and you can tell it, it felt like there were a few lines in the serial where they kept talking up there, like, "This is the." this is the best motorcycle in all of England. You know, like, like they kept talking it up so that it felt like she had something legitimate to do at the end. And it's like, it's right. just a freaking bicycle. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> right. Which I, I and you know, it's fine. I do like Sarah Griffiths. She, I could have, I could see her going like, I yeah. could, I could see that her working as a companion. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's just what ifs, what could have been odd scripts laying around like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, but this script really does have something cool that uh, uh, works for the McCoy era a lot because this has a very uh, darkness underneath the bright light kind of quality to it. Um, mm. Everything's bumping 50s happy, but there's like a genocidal bounty hunters going on in the background, <laughs> a woman on the run, uh, a secret child, like lots of lots of drama uh, with this. And I just love how it. Grant, we have to start off on the hook that oh, the doctor and Mel went a trip, bop, 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 and here they come. But once you're in that, the way they weave Delta and this opening battle sequence and her escaping into fitting in with that uh, bus trip and all that, I think it's really nifty. It, it just kind of fits and works. Yeah, this is where, like I said, I think the beginning of that of that smarter writing mm-hmm. really kind of takes shape here. Um, so yeah, they 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 had different threads, like you said, that, that that they wanted to put together, and they did so fairly fairly intelligently. Um, now, for every good step they took forward with with great moments of writing, mm-hmm. I think they also spent less time on like you know what the stakes don't have to be that high, or there's a lot uh, both in Delta. And in Dragonfire, not to mm-hmm. get ahead of ourselves, a lot of a lot of casual civilian death, like a lot of people oh, die. Like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, it's uh, and, and, it, and it's just it's just par for the course. It's just oh well, we're moving on to the next thing. Like Doctor can't save them all, which would be completely different now in the modern era. The Doctor would like cry over every <laughs> single death. Right, but back then McCoy was like, eh, you know, like it's fine, you know, like if if they die, I guess they're dead. You know, it, yeah, it they blow up is. a bus full of people. Um, mm-hmm. in this, and it's like, oh, like some of the characters yep. take some time at the moment of it happening, but yeah, like you never feel the weight on the doctor. 
Um, yep, the, just, yep, the bus oh. full of people. Even even when they left, um, even when they were leaving the when the Bannerman got to the outer space terminal and met uh, Ken Dodd's character, mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh, they're like, okay, you gave us the information that we needed. Uh, you're free to go." And then they shoot him in the back yeah. as he's running away, like like no, not a care in the world for how much death and destruction right. we're going to cause here. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it was funny when I was watching this. I'm like, and they blew up the bus. I'm like, wait, do they? Do they actually like survive and then we find them? And like, no, no, that's how no, nonchalant it is. Yeah. I questioned myself. I've seen this one like plenty of times. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They are, they are dead. They are yeah. 100%. It's, dead. it's real callous, real callous. Same thing in Dragonfire, yeah. which uh, we're going to get to next week. There's, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of death and destruction. And it's just like, well, got to keep on keeping cold. On, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what helps too that uh with with this stuff the why we feel this way is cuz I feel like with this one and then the next story that side characters pretty well-rounded depth, they function in the plot well, they have arcs and payoffs. So I think that's kind of what helps us go oh and feel icky and want more from the reaction to their demise and and such. Even if it's just the busload of crazy people or the aliens. You're right. I agree with that. And that's, that's again, that's coming back to the writing. The writing is good enough Mm -hmm. that they were able to flesh out these characters in a short amount of time. I've, I've always said for, for movies and TV series and and, and things, the uh, truly good stories can separate themselves by how much they make you care about the secondary Mm -hmm. characters. So, so yeah. um, And obviously in a show like this, when you know that you're probably not going to meet a ton of these characters ever again, like you get, as invested as you can mm-hmm. but when when you invest us in him and then kill him off it's like ooh, it, it kind of hurts a little bit <laughs> yeah i feel like cartmill is like andrew cartmill is like almost too much too late uh here because he you know we might not have the budget for this but if we can get it on paper right it's gonna work no matter what people have their magic and he's the four he's like the forward-thinking like new age breath of fresh fresh air the series has probably been needing for like almost the whole 80s and yep. it's at the tail end when the bbc's trying to flush it the rate it just can't get the ratings like it used to and but if you're watching you're like oh, why aren't people watching doctor who again it's really good you know that's yep. it's, the- it's 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 yeah it's big ideas with the classic lower ability to execute just based on mm-hmm. the handcuffs that the BBC have given them for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, the, the ratings for the show will go up the next year, but it looks as if it was just interest in the 25th anniversary of the show, uh, because they'll dive right back down. Cause next season is really good. So I have to wonder, you know, eh, I'll check it out for the 25th. All right. Now we're done. Sure. Yep. But, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, we've mentioned it's dark. Uh, speaking of cl- uh, violence, of the cliffhangers we got here, I always like to pick up those. Uh, we have the Doctor and Ray's life being threatened as Mel sees the green baby. Um, so that that's that's one of them. Um, it's a crazy ending to it. Mel screaming. Gotta have that. Uh, Doctor negotiates uh, the release of Mel and Burton. But as they leave, they're met with the Bannermen aiming their firearms at them. And then they end up just leaving in the next episode. So yeah, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting stakes that, that really don't have a lot of payoff, but I mm-hmm. mean, that's back in the day, you just, you needed to get the viewer to the next week. You needed them to have something to come back for, even right? If it was, even if it immediately went away, like whatever, they're already watching at that point where they're going to go. So, 
<laughs> right. And compared to next week, these cliffhangers are a okay. They're top notch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, uh, we get a, ba- a call back to Paradise Towers with Mel talking uh, icy hot. That was kind of cool. Yes. Um, and there's lots of classic music in this one. Uh, Rock around the clock, singing the blues. Why do fools fall in love? When the red red robin, the honeysuckle and the bee, Mister Sandman. Good night, sweetheart. That'll be the day. Only you, lollipop. Who's sorry now? And happy days are here again. It's the oldies but goodies CD uh, in one episode, which also uh, music rights were way different back then, and especially yeah. in the UK. So it's like a, it's like an, it's like its own self-contained. And that, now that's what I call oldies. It's, yes, uh, I mean they 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 definitely hit it. And it's interesting. This the episode was set in fifty nine. They were initially going to set it in fifty seven, so they right. could roll into. Uh, the launch of Sputnik and have that kind of go into the play with that's what hits the bus, but they yep. wanted, I think to have more rock and roll. So they moved it mm-hmm. back a couple of years and just made it a generic satellite. So, right. Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. that's all you go. And this is one we have these two guys. Uh, <laughs> there's this whole other side plot in this one that is almost, almost irrelevant of these uh-huh. two guys that are like operatives. And then there's a beekeeping guy. Uh, and it's excess, honestly. Yeah, I kept I kept waiting for uh, Garanwi, the beekeeper, to be to reveal himself to be like some secret alien who's hanging out right, on Earth yeah, and wants I, to help. But he's just some nice dude who loves bees. Like that's cool, I guess. I, so, but, I, I'm a time lord, doctor. I've been here. But yeah, um, what uh, Murray and Weissmuller of yeah. all the names, like like these are two, like, and these are American agents, right? Yes. who are somehow stationed in Wales. And, uh, you know, they, because they're supposed to watch the launch of the satellite, which makes, mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, so for as good as I was just talking about the writing, there are some right. spots where they're like, uh, let's just roll with it. Like, it doesn't have to make sense. And, and I can't, I just can't hear the name Weissmuller without <laughs> hearing Stewie from Family Guy talk about, oh, young Johnny Weissmuller. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I can't. Why, why did we name him this? I don't, he's wearing his Yankees jacket. Yes. And like he couldn't, he couldn't be more American. So, <laughs> talk about the, yeah, the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And are they, I, you have to wonder if they just gave them, put them in there to give McCoy some fun people to bounce off of, maybe. I, it's maybe really or, weird. Yeah, I mean, it could have been filler too. I mean, maybe this was a two-parter that they were like, "Oh, right. we gotta, we gotta work on some stuff here." Yeah, because at the end, like they spend their time bumbling around, they get caught by the bannerman, then they're mm-hmm. released by the bannerman, and then eventually, uh, McCoy just gives him like the satellite was stuck in the front of the bus, and he just gives it to him. He's like, "Oh, you guys want this? This is what you're looking for. Here you go, enjoy." And then they're just gone. So, yeah. <laughs> and they try to they try to turn the the beekeeper into relevance because like there's. Uh, the guy um, with uh, Delta, is that Burton? Or no, what was his name? Johnny. Uh, Johnny. Sorry. Uh, there's a lot of characters in this one. Yes, um, there are. <laughs> he like eats the jelly and becomes one of them. And yes. apparently it's supposed to be relevant to the bees somehow with their honey and stuff. And I was like, uh, it's, okay. Yeah, again, one of those very thin connect the dot type of thing because they're like, well, clearly the Shimmerons can't just keep going yeah. with Delta and a little baby. They got to have a. We know how space species, you know, work here. When a, when a boy Shimmeron and a girl Shimmeron love each other very much, so they really force the issue right. of Johnny falling in love with Delta, and Delta has no reason to fall in love with this rando from no. 1950s Earth. But she's like, well, good enough, I guess. You 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 drank some of the secret sauce, and yeah, you turned slightly green slightly I mean, green yep and Still again i know the, 
and I know the budget is rough, but watching that, watching the Shimmeron baby grow up too, is like, oh my gosh, like we couldn't, this couldn't be worse. Like I can right. see the green coming off the face. Like yeah. this is just, you just got to roll with it. So <laughs> they're probably happy they shot it on shittio back then rather than <laughs> getting go. HD of that now. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, yeah. uh, what was you say? Oh, the, the guys at the beginning, the Shimmeron, the male soldiers that look like army men. It's kind of, kind yes. I kind of like that. I, I know it's yeah. cheap, but I kind of like that. Yeah, I thought it was a cool, it was a very interesting look. And I like that they didn't, uh, you know, like you said, as they were building that part and working to intertwine that with the doctor's story, they didn't give you a ton of background, which I appreciate. I, yeah. I think that that's a, you know, a nod to the more cerebral viewers that they were hoping that they had mm-hmm. is that, you know, you could figure out what this was and where it was going or when it got there, you could mentally backtrack and right. connect your own dots. So, right. And I like the Bannermen too. They, those are um, those are pretty good bad guys. I, I like they they had a good intensity level for a family show that was like a bit dark. So it kind of make like it would make like a kid feel like they're getting away with watching something, you know, like that. But yeah, yeah, they kept they kept talking about the fact that they're the you know the the, the greatest inter, interstellar terrorists of all time and mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, no, you're not, because you're gonna let the doctor <laughs> walk away because he brought a white flag into your camp. Like, right? Yeah. You're not- not that bad. Like take off your slim eighties glasses and figure it out. You'll be fine. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, yeah. So no, uh, I, you know, we have, we have poked at it a bit too, but I really enjoy this one a lot. Like I, I really, this yeah. is, this is the part of the McCoy era where I'm like, all right, I dig in this. Um, I think Mel works really well here. This is one of the better utilizations of her into a story. Grant, we get her screaming, but, um, I think she really works here quite well. Um, and Bonnie Lankford really has an ownership here that she feels like the, uh, you know, senior member of the, of the team. Yeah. I don't know if it was because she was on her way out and knew it or what, but yeah, it, it felt like they, yeah. Uh, it felt like Mel had a, had a purpose beyond the screaming. Like she had her own part. Yeah. Like she definitely, you know, she, she built an early rapport with Delta. Um, so yeah, no, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a very enjoyable story. It's one of those uh, Dr. Who 80 stories that you, that you watch and you you feel what they were trying to do and mm-hmm. you you can if you have a good imagination you can yeah. go along with the ride on that i mean because you know i mean there are cost saving measures like across the board right like the like the like their superstar liner that's going to take them to earth got transformed into a bus because they had to blend in right, right. so it's just it's just a bus and then the Navarinos, who are purple and have like 18 appendages, go through a transformation arch, which magically lets them become human so that they can blend in on Earth, which makes perfect sense in the storyline. But it's a huge cost saving measure yes. on the special effects budget. So it all works very well if you're willing to go along for the mm-hmm. ride on that. So, yeah. And this one definitely has a vibe all its own that feels different than a lot of Doctor Who and feels like it could be its own like little movie. That yeah. uh, would work. So that's why one thing I really like. It really sticks out. Where like this is the only, this is the only doctor could work for. This is the only era, and it just kind of feels of its own. So I really do like it. It doesn't. A lot of there's a lot of Doctor Who stories in the classic era that could kind of just blend into each other. This is sure. not one of them. This is your standout, and for good reason. <laughs> standout Agreed. for good reason. So yes. <laughs> all right. Well, Tony, it's time to reset the TARDIS coordinates and get us onto our next adventure in time and space. Till then, where yes. can people keep up with you? Uh, they can keep up with me uh, pretty much anywhere online if you want to come and say hi. Uh, but the easiest place is to come wander by sciencefiction.com where you'll find me writing articles and reviews and all that fun stuff. And we can uh, 
we can chat about all things time and space and anything pop culture related right over there at sciencefiction.com. All right. Hashtag Delta and the Brandon man. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4QHD. Written work on whysoblue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters show. And of course, the summer of 82 at 40, uh, which is oh, more than halfway done. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty crazy. It's chugging along. But from old space. Somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. And somewhere out there, the tea's getting cold. Come on, Brandon. We've got some work to do. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>